I thought, uh, you know, Richard and I had the good idea that we should goose the episode content again with some quality, just for the people who are kind of like have a sour gut about like, you know, talking about high level stuff. So we're lucky that we uh, uh, we have we have someone from my team, uh, Kenny, and also uh, a returning guest, James Governor from Red Monk. And, uh, you know, they, they were they were hanging out talking about like uh, cloud native and what all that is and things going on in the area. And I, and I think along with Richard and I uh, doing sort of like, uh, you know, the old uh, the old guys on the Muppets commentary from the side. I, I was thinking it would be fun to like uh, listen into to James and uh, Kenny talk about it. But first, you know, for, for everyone who uh, who hasn't listened to the, the complete episode, like the one person out of all of our listeners. Why, why don't you two introduce yourself? Why don't you start, James? Great. Hi, uh, this is uh, James Governor. Uh, I am one of the founders of a company called Red Monk. Uh, we are an industry analyst company, but we're interested in developers instead of just the pointy-haired people. How about yourself? Give, give us an introduction, uh, Kenny. Hi, I'm Kenny Bastani. I am a Spring developer advocate at Pivotal, also uh, the author of uh, Cloud Native Java, who I, I wrote it with Josh Long. And uh, that's about it. I, I'm mostly on an airplane any any day, traveling around the world, talking to Pivotal's customers, prospects about cloud native. And also, as I recall, someone who is brave enough to play Andrew Schaefer at chess. I'm, I just I can't even imagine if that's like a profitable endeavor, sort of just purely based on time spent. It, it went way better than I thought. I was really worried about it, but I lasted a full ten minutes, so that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think, I think if once you play, if you sit down to play chess with someone who likes to give lightning talks about how to punch properly, you're in for an exciting ride. Absolutely. No, no table flipping. No. <laughs> right. He needs to. He needs to coach that that guy that, that punched Richard Spencer. Because that punch was not good enough. Yeah. Mm. So uh, let 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 me let me start you guys off. Um, uh, by by asking James, um, you know, I think uh, I, I recently learned uh, someone was copy editing uh, some of my material that Cloud Native actually has a hyphen in it. So I feel like I'm pretty much halfway to being an expert on it. But it would it would be it'd be good to hear like when you when you both use this phrase Cloud Native yourself, if you do, and when you see other people uh, outside of Pivotal or whatever, kind of in the industry using Cloud Native, yeah. So, so what is Cloud Native? What, if someone, if if someone were to ask you that, who who was you know like not a civilian, they're one of these nerd people like us. Like, what w- what would you explain to them? That's a great question, Kenny. What is Cloud Native? <laughs> so, Cloud Native for me, it really starts with starts with developers, right? So, it's it's a way for developers to frame a new way, a modern way of developing applications um, that is native to the environment of the cloud. Uh, which things are, aren't static, they're ephemeral, they're dynamic, and being able to create these applications on demand, self-service way, that's really what Cloud Native is all about. Wow, all. you are really good at this. Am I? No. Yeah, that was fantastic. Why is that different? Different from, than from what we were doing before? Because it used to suck, and now it's not so bad. His answer is way, way better than so yeah, cloud native. I don't know. There's just a, a set of disciplines that we seem to have learned um, from companies that, frankly, you know, and, and individuals that 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 have, have built things in the area where we did have these cloud resources. And you know, the set of associated disciplines uh, in around things like CI/CD, um, you know, breaking things down into smaller components, actually understanding distributed development. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, trying to take advantage of of the progress that we've made in probably these last five ten years, uh, in terms of just better programming. So I think it's it's sort of capturing some of those principles. 
um, and and you know then perhaps refactoring the architectures to better support the, the the those principles. I mean, we can go back to you know the famous kind of twelve factor uh, Heroku kind of vision of of how to build apps. Um, that's been really influential. You know, certainly, uh, you know, frankly, if we look at, at at Cloud Foundry, that came out of hey, this Heroku thing uh, is a good idea. Let's let's make that a thing. And um, so I think it, it's just bringing together the 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 lessons we've learned and and developing accordingly. Um, that's kind of my terrible definition of cloud native. I mean, it doesn't fit on a T-shirt, but that's still. A solid definition. No, it does with small, small, with small font. Small font. I, it, I've actually got that T-shirt. I mean, jump in, Kote. Do you see the? I mean, you talked about the dev practices. I mean, there's the cultural side of it too. I think that we've kind of labeled a oh, cloud-native way of working. I mean, do you do you see that as well? It's not just the tools. It's a it's a style. So I have this uh, metaphor that I've been running with, which is that imagine you go to an airport and there's only one electric socket, and everyone's trying. And charge their phones. <laughs> that's in Britain. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not, real. That's definitely each wrong. And uh, so what ends up happening is everybody has to wait for their turn or they have these extensions and, and that's one solution. They have to figure out how to share this one resource. And that's what developers have been dealing with and operators have been dealing with um, before uh, cloud native, right? So cloud native is really just a way to uh, not share as many things, to be able to have um, things that you need to be successful, to be able to provision those in a self-service way on demand. Um, and you get to have your own electric socket and uh, charge your phone, charge your devices. You don't have to share and, and, and go into all this complexity of all these extensions and sharing this one resource. But I like, I like sharing. I always I try and teach my kids to share. I, I share in, in life. It's generally a great idea. But uh, when it comes to development and operations of applications that have to be online all the time, um, not such a great idea. It, it, it turns out that developers are most successful when they have have the tools and they have the infrastructure they need to build their application and be successful. So do you see that, I mean, you talked to a lot of web companies. So I mean, what do you think that cultural piece is? I mean, most of these labels seem to come from people who've after the fact described what other people have already been doing, like cloud native, Netflix was cloud native or it was cloud native. But you know, you talk to a lot of web companies. What, what do you see as the cultural characteristics of a cloud native shop? Oh, some of the obvious ones. I mean, you mentioned Netflix, so it tends to be small teams. Um, you know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, whether we, you know, I'm a bit loath to now introduce another thing we might need to define, but, you know, people bandy around that word microservices. And that's really about small teams working together on, on uh, units of work. That's one of the really important things. People take responsibility for things, you know. Not developing things with the idea that you kind of hand it off and someone else is going to, you know, do the QA and the test. And you know, it's it's the, you know, it's it's for a lot of enterprises. I mean, they're still, you know, they're only just kind of emerging from that horrific abomination called waterfall. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think uh, again, I see cloud native as as sort of, you know, part of the yeah. It's agile team, agile. You know, I mean, certainly in the pivotal sense, you're going to be pair programming. Mm -hmm. um, um, What's the question again? 
I think that was it was the cultural aspects of cloud native. I think you described it's it's that way of working. Some to some extent, maybe even the way of thinking about software and thinking about modularity and thinking about constantly shipping. It's almost this. I know we think of it sometimes pivotal as a combo of microservice stuff, but DevOps plus agile plus just focusing on delivery and focusing on having compute at the drop of a hat, which yeah. is very different than ten years ago. I like what. I like what you both said, but you said something that really appealed to me, which is responsibility, accountability, mm. right? Um, one of the things that happens when you're sharing the same resource, the same application across a company of 500 plus engineers and operators is that not everybody treats it with the same amount of respect, right? There's, there's people who put more work into it than others. Um, and what ends up happening is that nobody really just feels themselves accountable for that application, which ends up hurting the end users. And so with microservices, right, you, you have accountability for all the things within the realm of that application. And you're communicating in an ecosystem um, with other teams. And I think that's just a much better way to go about building an application. So talk about building apps. You apparently know something about this Java thing, this new new programming language and environment. Brand new. All Brand the kids new. are doing it. Yeah. All the kids are doing it, right? So this this Java thing, that's cloud native, right? It is. Well, Spring Boot's cloud native. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so what 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 even is cloud native Java? So cloud native Java, it was interesting. So Josh and I, when we first started writing the book, it was a different book entirely. It was Spring Boot. Um, but then this cloud native thing came along, and Pivotal was seeing such great success in. Uh, the platform end of things, that really all of these things came together in one package, and we decided to uh, rename the book Cloud Native Java. Uh, so originally, it was just a way to explain the Spring ecosystem, and it turned into a way to explain how all these pieces connect together. I have to say, by the way, that is pretty funny, because <laughs> there was, a, I think, a review, although I don't know how they reviewed it, when it isn't really out yet. It was an early, did you? But, it, but there was someone who was like, this book is not about cloud native Java. This is about Spring. I'm like, maybe the reach is showing. That was literally the first comment I saw about it. Mm -hmm. like, maybe it isn't out yet, so they're just saying that. They imagine that's going to be a problem. But I think um, you did pre-release stuff with O'Reilly, right? Yeah, so I I am very familiar with all of the, the comments. Those comments, <laughs> right? And uh, yeah, yeah. So we talked with O'Reilly a little bit about that. And uh, I mean, what we decided is that we're just Spring Boot really is just leading the charge. And there's just it's created an open source ecosystem uh, where developers around the world are flocking to this because there's just gaps. There's, there's gaps in the Java ecosystem. Um, OK, well, tell me about one Java thing that is not a Spring Boot thing that is cloud native Java. Uh, you know, I can't even tell you. I mean, we are Java, right? So the entire framework is Java. Um, it's kind of like, in a way, like .NET. If dot, .NET now is open source, a lot of it is. Um, but I came from a .NET background, and uh, .NET really was the framework, right? There was no other framework. So what Spring Boot really is is just a lot of passionate developers in the Spring ecosystem who came together and created something that there was a major gap, something that worked um, in a way that is native to the cloud environment. And people are seeing tremendous success today, and they're flocking to the framework, and they're contributing. Um, and that's just increasing the value of that cycle. In terms of the, the the Spring Boot thing, I mean, I guess everybody does. Everybody that listens to this podcast know all about Spring Boot. I think so, but I think it's still probably worth potentially summarizing, you know, where this came about and and. So, what are the edges that had to be scrubbed off to make Java a little bit better? <laughs> so that's a great question. 
spring for almost the last two decades, right? That that has been a driver, it has been the framework for Java in a lot of ways. It was very popular because it was the first open source uh, framework that had all of these features that you're able to build an enterprise application with not a lot of uh, manual effort up front. Um, what I mean by not a lot, there was still some. Now, in 2013, uh, the Spring team came, came together and they said, hey, we have all this manual configuration. Let's, let's look at how these developers are creating these applications and the time that it takes for them uh, to prototype and to get an application into production, to decrease that time. And Spring Boot really came, came out of that where there's this idea of auto configuration, uh, where everything that used to be manual is now auto configured. You have a default auto configuration. Uh, and then from there, it kind of turned into this idea of, hey, what about recipes? Well, if you can just pick a few things and uh, we can auto configure these components together, um, you can have an application that has these features out of the box and all you have to do is start customizing. And then microservices kind of became a trend, uh, cloud, uh, and kind of all these things converged into this way of developing cloud-native Java applications, and that's Spring Boot. Well, this week, I thought we'd have a little exciting mid-roll thing going over one of the, the fun jobs we have open here at Pivotal. You know, if you listen to uh, Pivotal Conversation every week, maybe you think, how could I go work at that place? So why don't you tell me who you are and what open position you have at the moment that folks might be interested in? Thanks. Yeah. My name is Simon Horoid. I'm the director of Pivotal Labs uh, in Boston. Uh, so Pivotal Labs has about 20 offices worldwide, and uh, the Boston office is um, relatively one of our newer offices, and it's actually located in Kendall Square in Cambridge, uh, just a few steps from MIT and the Charles River. We're looking to bring on an associate director to join our leadership team for the Pivotal Labs team in Boston. Um, the associate director role really has kind of five, five core elements to it. The first is uh, uh, consulting project health. So at Pivotal Labs, we engage with our clients. We bring our clients into the office to build software products together with them. Um, so the associate director's role is really about making sure that uh, the projects are, are healthy from the client's perspective and from Pivotal's perspective. This requires experience in you know, having dealing with consulting relationships. Um, and we work in this highly transparent way with our clients in the office. So it's really about kind of having a continuous awareness to the consultant-client relationship. The next element is uh, people development. So this means thinking about the people in our office, the consultants understanding their career path at Pivotal and making sure they're, they're supported towards it. So we're looking for skills in mentoring and managing and, and giving feedback in difficult situations. The next is around practices. And I'm sure, you know, on this podcast here, you hear a lot about uh, our practices. And so we're really looking for deep experience with one of our three core skills that we bring to labs teams. So that's XP development, user-centered design, or lean product management. And so the AD is responsible for encouraging kind of continuous improvement and innovation in those practices. The next area of skill is uh, in business strategy. Um, as an associate director, you'll be supporting the sales team and growing the, the size and conversion rate of our sales pipeline and uh, making sure you're worried about the kind of keeping the office uh, revenue and margins healthy. And then also thinking about kind of maintaining alignment with the broader pivotal strategy. And the last element is thinking about the office space itself wanting to maintain an effective and efficient and inclusive work workplace. And we have a, actually an upcoming office move to brand new office space down the street in Kendall Square. So there's plenty that goes into ensuring that that office space is, is going to be a, a conducive environment to helping our clients, clients transform the way they build software. And you can find more info about this job at pivotal.io slash locations slash Boston. Yeah, that, that sounds good. I've, I've had the, uh, the pleasure of working with labs people here and there, and uh, it's always enjoyable. You sort of like uh, you add the human to computer. 
<laughs> so <laughs> so that's always fun. Well, great. Well, thanks for going over that. And uh, and again, if you want to check that out, you go to pivotal.io slash locations slash Boston. Hopefully you know how to spell Boston if you want a job in Boston. If we think about Java, there's like, you know, not everybody is um, uh, a millennial Java programmer. Um, but so for people that have been, you know, in the in the trenches doing Java for years, and then suddenly there's like these two idiots on a podcast being like, oh, yeah, cloud native Java. Great. Spring boot. Woohoo. Like, is that something they do you think they want to know about that? I mean, the, the person is like a nine to six kind of developer in a shop that has a bunch of on-prem stuff. You know, they just like have that job to do. I mean, writing JSP, you know, JSP pages and yeah, like what, what, is I've, this... met, I've not met one developer who enjoys doing that stuff um, because there's just an easier way to do this, right? Every developer wants to be productive, right? They what really uh, makes a developer's job the worst is having to repeat work or having to uh, copy code from somewhere else just because it, you don't know how it works, but that's going to make this application go into production. Um, with Spring Boot, it's just a way to specify, here's a few recipes. I trust the framework will do what it says it's going to do, and I can just customize it, and by the end of the day, I can have a new application in production. It makes things faster, increases the velocity, and it increases the developer experience. Um, I think that's really where we're going, is that we're giving developers really this freedom from being stuck into this world of legacy where it's very hard to change things. It's very hard to create new applications. And that's what the Spring team is really passionate about, is because they came from those those backgrounds, right? So they they intimately understand it, and so they built a framework that they would want to use. So so let me let me let me ask uh, let me take a long winded walk up to two questions, one for each of you. Uh, the 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 first one is uh, is is essentially so Kenny. Uh, Spring Boot is essentially like I uh, essentially I, I like package up all these things I want, uh, all these different components of a framework because I'm going to make a software application, and and then there's a standardized way of like configuring them all and making sure these different subcomponents know how to talk to themselves or to each other. I guess themselves too, uh, and and then also essentially if you want, if I remember, it'll give you an executable of something. So it sort of like lets you select. Your, your subcomponents of your system, it wires them up for you, and then it packages it uh, so that you can execute it. Now, that may not always be the best idea to just execute it on its own, but it sort of like uses basically automation and standardization to make it easier to get up and running. And then, and then there's also some, uh, you know, when you do the second to 500th sort of rev of that, because you've got so much standardization, it's easier and better. So is that like sort of accurate? Yes, sort of. What was your second question? <laughs> that was a very Germanic kind of question. I haven't met that many Germans, but I assume just like a good German, I wanted to make sure I was correct in my thinking. Uh, so, uh, so, so given that, like in Java technologically, like what would you say are the top three like things that enable that or that that kind of like do that? And and all all sort of like I was talking about this with our coworker Mark, right? How. For example, last time I was a Java programmer in 2006, if um, if like uh, introspection and the ability to kind of like do funny business like behind the scenes didn't exist, 
much of the benefit of the spring framework wouldn't exist, right? Because all of the magic of doing this configuration stuff is based on like introspection and setting stuff and blah, 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 right? This, this kind of metaprogramming layer in Java. So I'm curious with, and this gets to the, the technological nature of cloud native, right? Like what are a few other things that you would say like, well, when you look at whether it's spring boot or what cloud native is in the Java world, these are like technologically things that differentiate it from like, say, doing an EJB in 2004, Right. Like like what are the actual things like, I don't know, rest frameworks or queues or like what's like technologically things that differentiate a cloud native approach than I don't know what the opposite of a cloud native approach is uh, confused, like, uh, you know, groundling native or something. I like to explain it like this. That's a great question. It's it's like a declarative programming language or a declarative query language like SQL. I, I tell the application what I want. I don't tell it how to do its job. And that's really the big difference is that I don't have to spend all this time manually configuring things. Um, and when you manual, manually configure things, it's not always standard, right? So across the board, you have a standard way to auto configure. Um, and that's, that's really a huge benefit to developers because they know how things are going to work across all these different distributed components. Um, but, but ideally, they just want to do their job, which is to add value, right? To, to build the business logic of the application. And what cloud native is really all about and cloud native job in general with Spring Boot is just having developers be able to say, here's the architecture. This is what I want. I'm not going to tell the application framework how to do it or how to wire it up. If I need to go down deeper, I can certainly do that because we're built on abstractions. Um, we use dependency injection and it uh, provides you with a way to override these things. So that's not going to get in your way. Um, and that's pretty much it. I think developers just like that experience better um, than having to manually configure everything and then everything can go wrong with that as well if, if if i were to make you pick like one thing from what you were saying that kind of like is the important sort of like necessary but not sufficient uh that that makes like java cloud native a lot of it sounds like and i'm i'm purposely picking a boring thing because that's fun a lot of it sounds like configuration like we think a lot about configuration and how we want to configure things because, and this is almost like, and, and you know, I don't know, I'm just uh, extemporaneizing here if that's a word, but this is almost like one of the big epiphanies of the DevOps world is like, oh, configuration, that's kind of important, right? Like, and it'll screw us up if we don't spend a lot of time about it. But it strikes me that configuration is perhaps like, I don't know if it's the most, but it seems like the most important sort of like, philosophical epiphany of doing cloud native stuff yeah I, I like that i think that there's there's a lot more there's a lot more to it um and i i know you've reviewed the you've been so kind to review the book and, and give feedback um so um, you kind of have some hints into this but but yeah it starts with that it starts with the, the things that we can easily change and the things that we can't um the things that we can easily change our configuration but it just turns out that that's where a lot of the things can go wrong so uh yeah so configuration, I think that that's uh, – it, it's a really interesting point because one of the, the – the, if we think about really what kicked off a lot of you know, uh, the thinking uh, in and around cloud native is the instantiation of an opinion in the code to reduce configuration. And this goes back – I mean, of course, you know, we can go back to, to Rod having these ideas, you know, back in the day. But but I think Rails, when they kind of, you know, when 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 the Rails framework for Ruby came out, it was just like, oh, this is so much easier because I don't need to configure everything. 
configuration that has like a very high cognitive overhead. And, you know, Java definitely really suffered from that. You can do anything with it, but you had to configure it appropriately. And and I think one of the things about sort of if there is something in cloud native, it's it it I think that the, the sorts of architectures and applications that I have seen, tools and platforms are generally ones that do indeed uh, instantiate an opinion and reduce the amount of config you needed you need to do in order to run uh, in order to build an application and, and and run it. Yeah, absolutely. In a lot of ways, as as we explain. Uh, developers what Spring Boot is, we, we use that word a lot, opinionated. Um, I don't like to use that that word so much anymore because uh, everybody can have their own opinion about it. And, and I know, but they're all wrong. <laughs> yeah, probably. So the way that I like to say it is that, yeah, you, you really just uh, tell the application what you want and not how to do it all the time. And that, I think that's really, um, in a way, uh, a good way for developers who are, who are new, new to the Java ecosystem um, to approach this. So. All opinions are equal, but some opinions are more equal than others. Well, I mean, I think it just <laughs> saves you from living on Stack Overflow. You said you came from a .NET background. Yeah. I remember using WCF in the world, and there would be all these settings, like I'm changing buffer sizes. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, just set it for me with normal defaults. Why do I have to figure out what the right values are? Be smart and tell me. I remember and, that, yeah. <laughs> and it's nice when these frameworks, I mean, you can really start these up and connect to Kafka or connect to Rabbit right. or connect to a cache. I don't really have to know much and if i want to override it exactly i can so it's extensible but hey for probably eight months, who cares yeah what what's the uh what's the old uh the old monty python thing where they sit around in white jackets complaining about how miserable their life used to be and trying to one-up each other that's that that bit has a name right you had one bean you were lucky we didn't have any beans <laughs> exactly exactly my, my dad would beat me and put me in a box and you know rather than a bed it's it's like oh you had to set buffers i had to use property files oh it was terrible it's just like over and over again yeah i remember looking at the the java io things and thinking about these were not written for humans to use i have no idea what's happening here but but yeah yeah so so that that kind of like slides nicely into uh into the question i had for james and just to like uh you know long wind up to it like i i was writing in my notes that like this idea of uh automating and standardizing i think that's kind of what you decompose opinionated into right like you standardize something and then you automate the application of it yeah because opinionated does have a weird tone to it but it's it's uh, very direct so anyways so here here's here's what i want to ask you james to to kind of take advantage of your your uh, your broad perspective over everything it's i mean i mean it's essentially i mean to be brief it's like the lock-in question which i think I think it's really hard for a vendor to be credible giving you any answer about it. Um, but, you know, when it comes to having an opinionated infrastructure, right? So there's there's two parts to this question. One is like, so like, if that's so awesome, why don't we all just still do mainframe coding, right? Because I mean, like, that's all kind of opinionated. Like, like when, when, when you're using a technology, do you decide like this set of opinions is crap and I need to get a new set of opinions? And then, and then kind of related to that is like, so how do you make sure you don't like, choose the wrong opinions like what do you i don't know like how do how do you see people even thinking through that or saying folks are thinking through it like what's what's the selection criteria people should go through well i know what you said today which i was hoping maybe i'll try to influence your answer but you kept hammering us today with pivotal the idea of convenience and i think even you or steven said look something might not even be completely optimal but if you've made it convenient 
those are those are going to be things I'm going to consume. Do you see that? Is that how you choose which opinions are better? Is sometimes which ones just make sense or easier to consume? Yeah, I mean, I think to Kenny's point, you know, generally developers do like convenience. Um, in you know, and in fact, everybody, all human beings like convenience. Um, you know, you why do you use Uber because it's super convenient? Um, you know, and then you find yourself, you know, ordering a cough you don't even need. So, you know, I think some of it is just like what what genuinely is 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 the thing that is going to make things most easy for me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wrong and right opinions. Um, you know, there are some pretty smart people working on uh, these things. And, and it's, it's very I think it's, it's, it's an interesting question because I, I feel like there is very often a an individual that is actually an opinionated individual. I mean, mm-hmm. if you've ever seen, you know, DHH talking, he's not short of an opinion or two. Yeah. Um, and, you know, of course he was, you know, initially the, you know, wrote, wrote, wrote the Rails framework. Um, you know, Rod, very strong opinion about how things should be done and, and sort of implemented that, that in code. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, it, it is. It's just about convenience. And, you know, do do we pick the wrong opinions? All the freaking time. Right. Um, opinions change. Right? Humans make terrible decisions constantly. Um, but, you know, sometimes you find a tool that works well for you. And and that, at the end of the day, is the only opinion that, that, that really matters. I guess you hope these things can grow with you to some extent that you haven't just done the startup tech or the new team tech. And as soon as you have a scale problem, it collapses. But even then, you, you can, nobody can predict the future. I guess you just have to, some, as you said, maybe trust where this comes from that hopefully some smart people thought about problems at scale or... Well, I think Salvatore at Redis is, is a really, you know, interesting uh, point here in that, in the, you know, talking, talking, talking to him is really interesting because he's kind of, you know, at this point, benevolent dictator for life. You know, he makes the makes the decisions. And when he joined uh, Redis Labs, is like these people are actually pretty amazing. I'm, I'm I trust them a lot. But as a de- designer, my role as a designer, I mean, I trust them to write code, but I don't. I'm not ready to relinquish my my design. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, I, I mean, you know, if, if we think about uh, not that Linux is uh, a development framework or whatever, but it it certainly does. Uh, it, it contains opinions about how stuff should be done. Very sure. strong opinions. Right. Um, so who all is the sort of the who's the who's the, the designer Who's, is there a, is there an individual that kind of drove like who do we credit Spring Boot in terms of the the you know in terms of pulling all, all that together? It is the entire ecosystem. It, most of all, it's the, the Spring team who who kind of facilitated this. But there's a it was the entire ecosystem self formed around itself. But do we feel like there's a grandfather of this or grandmother? There might be, but I mean, does does that really matter? I, I think that. I think you're trying to get to, is there a set of opinions that came from some, not even individual brainchild, but that they were like, this is a good way to do spring code. And therefore, and yes, the community validates that because that person could be insane. But, but these opinions, they flow up. 
as issues, mm -hmm. right? So this is really born of the open source ecosystem. Well, who drove the project, Spring Boot? Spring, who drove the project for Spring Boot? Yeah. Phil, Phil Webb is one of the co-founders. I mean, there are many people, and I don't want to just give one name there. Sure, sure. I know Phil Webb would love me to, to credit him on this, but um, there, there really is a lot of, of hardworking talent and, and ideas that Phil go Phil Webb makes really good slides. He makes great, really great slides. I have slides. to say, he makes really good slides. Yeah. He should give up the day job. He he could set up a great little agency just making slides for people. That's what Phil should do. No, he and Unsee. When I have to tell my my child where where kids come from, Auntie's creating the slides for me. I, I'm telling you, it's <laughs> you know those two. Imagine that agency now. <laughs> right. Holy cow! I would definitely get them to make my slides. Here we go. Mm. You know, I I I thought of I thought of some uh, some replies involving uh, what kind of butter clock makers use and putting putting bread in a toaster slot. But I've I've those kind of they've effervescently gone out of my head when it comes to. Uh, Using emojis to explain the birds and the bees, which I'll have to go check if those if those are available in there. So, uh, yeah, I forgot what it was. Uh, so, really, think about the things that developers do with an application that get them attached to that application. Now, with Spring Boot, we've kind of standardized things in a way where it's it's cheap to throw things out in a way, right? You're not having to do all that manual setup work that gets you attached to that application, uh, where you no longer want to change it in a way or, or, or throw it out and that's how a lot of legacy accumulates is that there was all of this effort up front uh, to build this application and that's kind of alleviated today with an opinionated framework like Spring Boot. Mm. And I think going that way in general with, with the cloud kind of converging on this automation idea. So how, how opinionated, I mean it's interesting because you think like Node is all over the map. Like, like what's the, I mean is it the there's, there's certainly a lot of, of cloud native apps built in Node, mm -hmm. um, but I'm trying to I'm trying to think about like uh, whether there are configuration decisions being made. I'm just trying to broaden this out a bit rather than just only thinking about Spring Boot. It seems like the framework. I mean, Express has opinions. Yeah, and there's things like this is how I have the middleware, and you know, ASP.NET Core has middleware with its microservices um, or services. So I think they're always again steering you somewhere. It's the usual again. I think. You were one of the people that you know even talked about PCF as being opinionated but extensible. It seems like any good framework meets that. That it's got some opinions, but you're not completely beholden to it. That you are able to stretch that. And it's not Java. It's also Node and .NET. I'm sure Ruby as well. Very good point. I think that's probably so, a signal of a good. good so framework. Kenny, have you looked at have you looked at OpenWhisk by any chance? A little bit. I haven't gotten to dive into it yet, but it does look interesting. Yeah. I was just kind of wondering about, you know, I, th I think that, yeah, I, I, I think that we, we need to kind of brought, I think there has to be some other interesting art in the Java landscape that is also, that, that is coming at things from a cloud native perspective. Now, not, I mean, I only say OpenWest because I think it supports Java. So I'm trying to, if you, if you're running, if you write a function on, what do they know? So it's Node. I think it's Node and Swift. Swift. That's it. So Java's coming, but they don't have it yet. Java's just in Lambda, I believe, at the moment. So Java on Lambda, like, is that cloud native? Yeah, of course it is. Uh, but you're not going to be able to pull in all the things that you get. You're not. You're going to have to actually uh, be impaired in the way that you program that function and how it's going to tie together with other func Java functions that you have on Lambda. It's or you're going to connect into the services that are provided to you, which in a way is an opinion, 
Um, and and that's how you're going to go about it. But yeah, absolutely, it's cloud native. Yeah, because I think the opinionated thing is interesting and it's added value to Spring Boot. But I'm just trying to draw out a little bit about like just thinking about. So we started with some sort of definitions of cloud native, and then we just ended up talking about effectively what a frameworks. So we're, yeah, where all do we run these things? Do cloud native apps have to? Do we have to deploy them in Amazon? Uh, absolutely not. Um, now, the cloud native stack, right, all the way down to the bottom, PI as layer, which is the infrastructure as a service layer. Now I'm not going to go through the whole stack, but there's this layer of abstraction, similar to how Spring uh, programs their starter projects, is that there's this layer of abstraction, and each layer of the abstraction, you can change things out, right? The very bottom layer, we have the IaaS layer, right? That's an API that allows me to provision infrastructure using an API on demand. And on top of that, we have a platform uh, which is going to uh, have an opinion about how it's going to manage that infrastructure. And uh, that's really the application platform is how you're going to deploy and run and operate your applications. Uh, and again, the automation that's provided with that is that it has an opinion of how you should deploy and operate these applications. And it's going to uh, reduce a lot of the cognitive overhead that comes with maybe rolling your own solution um, or a spoke solution, uh, which, which ends up being hard to manage in the long run. But I can run that on vSphere <coughs> OpenStack, right? Or raw IaaS, like a cloud-native app. Is, is it more about the app or the infrastructure? Or is it an inseparable combo? They're, they're intimately tied together, I think. Um, absolutely. Well, I think that's a good place to end. You've got uh, you got cloud native at the application layer and cloud native at the infrastructure layer. It's a good uh, until next time sort of conversation. But th- thanks for both of you for being on. This is fun. It's good. It's it's nice not to have to like come up with questions and have someone else do it. Well, that's good because you don't actually ask questions, Kote. You make no, no. Then no. say, what do you think? <laughs> I, I I don't I don't like to give intellectual ground to anyone. I just sort of <laughs> lull people into uh, coming into my library and farting around. That's that's what I enjoy. So as always, this has been Pivotal Conversations. You can find the most recent things at soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. If you don't subscribe to it already, that's really the best thing to do. It makes everyone really happy, and then you don't have to do anything. Even if you don't listen to them, subscribe to them and download them. Download them five times. That'd be great. If you haven't already... Uh, and you probably haven't unless you're that one person. It'd be great if you went to iTunes and left a review for us or a, a rating. It's even better if you just refer people to it or uh, promote it somewhere. And we'll see everyone next time. Bye-bye.